Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Welcome to episode 28, and I'm recording this on the 21st of May 2020, still in lockdown. I hope you, your family and friends are doing okay and managing to stay safe and sane. I've done a couple of webinars since the last episode, including one for Economia Circular Brazil, covering some of the reasons why businesses are not getting going with circular approaches. You can find it on the Rethink Global website, and I'll put a link in the show notes for this episode. In the last episode, we spoke to Chris Hellowell about Edinburgh Tool Library. Chris was inspired by the Vancouver Tool Library in Canada, which today's guest, Chris Diplock, helped found. We heard last time how Edinburgh Tool Library operates in a similar way to a traditional book library, with volunteer librarians helping people borrow and return what they need. Today we'll hear about a different approach to operating a library or a sharing system, using technology to reduce the workload. Chris Diplock has set up a new concept, the Thingery, which I describe as a library in a box, the box being a shipping container. The containers are solar powered and so can be sited in disused spaces near the communities that will use them. Technology allows people to access the container and then use the built-in systems to easily log what they're borrowing or returning. That means it's less reliant on volunteers and can be open 24-7 if needed. Chris wants to make it easy for any community worldwide to set up their own library of things using the Thingery concept. Let's hear more about the concept, the funding model and the practicalities. In today's episode I'm talking to Chris Diplock in Canada. Chris is the founder and CEO of The Thingery, the parent organisation of neighbourhood Thingery branches, and a leader in Vancouver's collaborative economy. The Thingery focuses on the development of community-owned lending libraries of things, in other words, a Thingery. Chris has extensive experience in Vancouver's sharing economy, having co-founded the Vancouver Tool Library and led a citywide research project called The Sharing Project. Chris, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast and congratulations on coming up with such a great name for your organisation. Was that a 3am brainwave? Oh, well, first of all, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to uh, to be tapping into this community. Um, was the name a 3am brainwave? Oh, no, no. You know what? We had a... We, we, we did... No, it wasn't. It was like there was a lot of back and forth and then... Um, 
Yeah, just like, you know, you do those lists. I don't know if you've ever done branding, but usually you're like, okay, what am I thing? And then what I'm j jamming two things together. And at first I was like, I don't know if that name's going to stick at all. And some of the initial feedback was like, I don't know about that. Like great concept, but I don't know about this name. But now I think we, we stuck to it long enough that people are like, yeah, I get it. So. Yeah, good stuff. And I'm curious to know, how do you explain the thingery to people who are new to the sharing economy? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, you know, if you say it's an equipment lending library, people kind of go, I get it. Uh, I think the finer details are a little harder to stick, but because the concept of a library is just so universal, right? Like everyone just knows what a library is. If you put in equipment lending library, people go, oh, okay. And then usually they go, what kind of equipment? I get the concept. What kind of equipment are we talking about here? Um, so that's usually the, the deeper dive. But, you know, and it's also intergenerational. I think so many people within, you know, my generation, the, the 20 to 40, 45, if you say it's an equipment lending, they go, oh, I get it. Right. right? That's interesting. They, boom. <laughs> and, and we see that in checkout too. You know, if you have someone in that generation, they walk in because it's all self-service. So they walk in, they grab a drill or they grab a tent and they check it out on the iPad. Super simple. They get it and they leave. And then, uh, you know, people from an older generation are like, there's no one in here ever. <laughs> I hear that a lot from an older generation. They're like, it's always closed. <laughs> like, well, there's no one in there. It's a self-service. So um, yeah, the concept lands for, for most people. That's good. So talk us through the kinds of equipment that are in the, you've got three so far, is that right? A couple in Vancouver and one somewhere else in Canada. Uh, they're actually all in kind of the lower mainland of, of BC, which right. is around Vancouver and kind of there's some surrounding municipalities. Um, so we have two in Vancouver and then one in North Vancouver, which is just on the other side of the bridge. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so in terms of the inventory, I mean, you know, I used to, so I started the, like you mentioned, I started the Vancouver Tool Library. I co-founded it. It's a co-op. So we work with an uh, incredible group of leaders when we started it. Um, but that was like, um, even though tools are so vast, like, you know, it, there's so much uh, different categories of tools, it was still much easier to focus. And then when we went the thingery, we went, okay, we can do not just power tools, woodworking tools, gardening tools, bike tools, we're going to do recreation equipment. So camping, backpacking, park, recreation, and sports. Um, and then we're also going to do like, like some home appliance stuff like garment steamers and food dehydrators. And, you know, so that kind of, uh, it, it, there's a lot. So, you know, mm. we kind of drafted out these main categories and then went, uh, okay, let's draft up some, some items within each of those. So we've got a pretty good, I mean, right now we've just like the main categories are uh, recreation and, and power tools. Right? Mm, yeah. We, we see a lot of tents. Vancouver is a very active outdoor community. Like people we're surrounded by mountains. So mm. a lot of people are like, how do I get into the mountains? And so we do a lot of, yeah, a lot of camping, uh, a lot of recreation. Um, I think there's a lot of potential in like, the home appliance side that we haven't, you know, explored, um, you know, food dehydrators, sewing machines and that kind of stuff, uh, which is, 
which is exciting. We also like, I think also events and entertainment, like we've always dreamed of having projectors. Mm. Uh, we have, we have tables and chairs that actually go out quite a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, like speakers and little, little things for events and entertainment. We had a party set that was just all like reusable mugs and plates, um, which was popular as well. Yeah, that sounds good. So how do you decide what categories to invest in? You know, if you're kind of thinking, right, we've got some spare money, what should we buy next? Because it's a it's a community. We we haven't explained that, have we? It's it's owned by its members, isn't it? So how does all yeah. the organizing and the decisions, how does that all work? So it's an interesting model. The Vancouver Tool Library was a nonprofit co-op. Mm-hmm. Um and then we established kind of a regional co-op um, that owns the containers and the equipment here in Vancouver, mm-hmm. but there's a company as well that kind of runs the operations. So it's kind of a, a partnership between this thingery company and this association of equipment libraries locally. Mm. So, um, there, you know, there's a couple of factors. You, 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 we go, okay, what's, what's uh like what's gone you know what have we run dry on in in kind of these peak times so you know balancing do we buy another tent mm. or is there an item that we're we're seeing requested so there's a way to request an item that's right. not even there so is that uh, on the on the app or do people have an app or a website or how does it's all work? on the website right now right. yeah we're we're trying to figure out how to how to be in that app space um, right now. But yeah, so we, we balance that, you know, um, looking at how, you know, is this going to go out? Is this going to be used? Is this in demand? And uh, is the community requesting it? Um, mm. Yeah. And I guess some of the practicalities, because when, when you were talking about kitchen equipment, I was thinking, oh, Apple Press, you know, that's expensive. And then I thought, oh, no, because everybody would want to use it at the same time of year and right. then and then it would sit idle for um you know 11 months of the year so that wouldn't well really inventory work. management is huge right mm. because we have a limited space so i don't think we mentioned this but we operate exclusively in shipping containers right mm. now and it's not to say we can't set one of these up in pre-existing builds or new builds that is definitely something we can do and we've talked to a lot of uh, different locations about but right now it's just in a container so you're right when we see seasonal change we have to move quickly to be like no one's going to take out snowshoes in june mm. so they're gone um so, you've, so yeah so you've got a um, an inventory of seasonal things somewhere else then and you just keep what's current in the shipping container yeah we have an offsite storage yeah. for non-seasonal equipment um which is, uh, yeah, which, which just has to happen. But like you said, it's always, yeah, I mean, I mean, if we had an app press and it was out all the time, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, I think you just gotta, there's part of that human behavior, which mm. is, I've learned a lot about um, in, in equipment lending, which is if you tell someone it's due in three days, they're going to work on it the second, the night of the second day right? That's just the way we operate. And so I think that um, you just got to be, 
Yeah, you just you just gotta you just gotta give people kind of the incentive to to return it and maximize mm. how that item can serve the community. Um, so it doesn't sit idle in someone else's house, which which doesn't solve any problems, right? So, mm. so how does it work then with the membership and the uh, the fees and when things go wrong? You know, if something comes back broken, how how does all of that work? Yeah, so people sign up online and they pay an annual membership fee. Um, and then there's also some per item fees as well. So, mm. you know, if you went to the website, you're like, I want to join, you can look at the inventory first and be like, Ooh, yeah, it's got what I want. It's got like a high quality pressure washer, which I need right now. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up. So you sign up, um, you get a welcome email and there's a little access code. So you get your own unique access code to the container. So there's self-service. Uh, we have an access control system inside with a camera and two-way communication and stuff like that. So we know who's going in and out. Um, so once you get your code, you can just pop in, kind of the lights turn on, there's a full inventory, and then you would go around and grab an item. Each item has a code on it. You would log into a little kiosk, like at a grocery store and just self-checkout. And... Uh, and then take it home. You get a little email that says, hey, you took out the pressure washer. It's due back on Tuesday. Um, and you, yeah, you use it and then return it. And then it's you just get invoiced monthly. Mm. And if something goes wrong with the pressure washer while I'm using it, what happens then? You know, one of the things, because I've been doing this for so long, I've been doing this for 10 years now. Um, not the thingery. The thingery has only been active since 2008, but just in this sharing equipment lending world um people are generally not careless um and so we have a policy around we accept standard wear and tear mm. right we, we accept standard but we also say if you don't know how to use it go use it <laughs> because you're not going to use it safely so um you know in the example of a pressure washer it it really depends sometimes there's things like, like you know, if a, you're not if a pressure washer tips over, or if you leave it running while, um, like sometimes it, like a pressure washer is a good example because it, some some pressure washers if you're not spraying water, it will overheat if it's running because it mm. uses the water as a coolant. Okay. Right mm -hmm. for that little motor that's pressurizing the water. It uses the water as a coolant. So some people don't know that and they just leave it running, have a conversation, go get a coffee or something. And then, and then it, you know, it can burn out. So that's where we go. Okay. That was irresponsible. You didn't know how to use it. You need to take responsibility for that. But, but you know, if a blade comes back dull, just someone used a blade mm. and that's, that's the next user's responsibility. We mm. do, we do not cover disposables because it's just such a nightmare. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah. it's also, it's also, I think, just in the world of like throwaway, we don't want to be a part of that. Mm, like exactly. if a blade's 75% yeah. good, then use the rest of it, right? Mm. If it's safe, um, keep using it versus I think a lot of rental places are like new blade, new blade, new sandpaper, new, you know what I mean? And we're just burning through more junk. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's heartburn. Mm. So if somebody does, going back to the power washer, burn mm -hmm. out the motor, is there a penalty for that or, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And usually there's not a lot of dispute. 
Mm. Um, usually, usually people are like, I'm sorry. <laughs> They'll say it, you know, like, I'm sorry. There's some things getting into recreation equipment. I've, I didn't think I would see, but I, you know, someone packed a tent that was wet. Mm. So I go back and I check it, you know, every time it comes in, when we do a check, uh, we, we check on the inventory that just got checked in and it was wet. And I was like, who in the right mind would return a wet pack? Like, how is it going to dry? What do you think is going to happen to this tent? Do you know what I mean? So we've encountered some stuff like that. Um, but generally it's so minor. Mm. Um, people, people always have this feeling that someone's going to do something evil like malicious with your stuff and the odds are just that's not what that's not true people are responsible we used to see more often than not at the tool library if someone broke something they would just buy a new thing they would say look i'm real sorry but i i broke the the skill song but i wouldn't buy a new one for you wow that's good or you know something like that so so i guess there are things that you can do you know um improving on the standard instructions and thinking about the top few things that are likely to go wrong if people aren't familiar with it and you know like with the pressure washer you could send out instructions that say you know this uses the water to cool its engine so don't leave it running dry do you do that kind of stuff as well to make it easy for people or is that a bit nanny state <laughs> no i you know what i am not against um that the, that kind of notifications and communicating that information to members i think it's a good idea and i think that I think particularly because people, because we're, when you think about a lending library, you're often getting people that don't own the equipment. So they're not familiar with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you have this in, you know, where you guys are in North Yorkshire, but we have a like car, we have a car co-op, like, like a car to go. Right. Okay. And um, what's funny about those is, you know, on the road, sometimes I see these car sharing Oh, wow, these people don't drive very often, mm. right? So there's, you know what I mean? It's almost like the, when you drive every day, it's such a, you know, it's such a familiar task. You're aware of, you know, how to turn on the lights. The amount of times I see a, uh, like a car to go with, the, they're not, they don't have the running lights on because they get in the car. They haven't been in a car in two weeks and they forget to turn the running lights on. But you know what I mean? Like, so I think that that kind of, I think we're dealing with a lot of, members that are that are not regularly using you know what i mean yeah definitely. and they're, they're kind of getting into it they're like i you know i didn't i didn't use this enough to warrant ownership um is part of the people we see so i think those notifications are good mm. but i think also another like another like we had a really a guy came in he said uh he said i love that drill he said i have a drill at home but that one's way better and i thought oh man you already have a drill at home <laughs> But we have, so there's, we're also, I think, serving people with a higher quality mm. item because often if we go to the store individually, the way that capitalism works is, you know, they'll show us the really terrible version and the really expensive version. And then we end up buying the middle version because that's just the way they trick us. So I think oftentimes we're not hitting the highest quality item. Mm. And what's one of the real powers of equipment lending as a community is we can collectively buy the best item, right? Because it's that cost is spread out amongst all of us. You know what I mean? Like there's a common um, entity that's bearing that cost. And so it's spread out. And when you buy a higher quality product, it's more repairable. 
if you look at you know if you mm, look at a mastercraft drill yeah. versus versus a higher quality like a makita drill you can send away for replacement parts so we're it, you know serving higher higher quality it's better for the member it's better for repair i think it's it's another added perk of yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And I think through the Thingery umbrella organization, that kind of information is something that you could spread the word about. You know, these are the best pieces mm-hmm. of equipment to choose because in our experience, these are the ones that are repairable. These are the ones that are durable. These are the ones that don't end up being out of date a year after you bought them. So in in theory, they're repairable. But in practice, oh, you can't get the parts. So all that information is is really helpful in pushing the circuit economy forward, isn't it? So let's let's talk about the umbrella organisation. And, you know, if somebody's listening to this and thinks the thingery sounds brilliant, I want to set one up in my town. What do they need to do? How do they get going? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, We definitely see ourselves as being able to expand into almost any community um, and, and having a powerful impact. We are really happy to work with local organizations to set these up. Um, so existing tool libraries, existing maker spaces that want to you know, capitalize on um, kind of the work that we've done in the system that we use. Um, so they just be in touch, you know, email us at info at thethingry.com and and we'll kind of what we do is we kind of go okay let's talk about the space because one of the unique things that we've done here is we were able to negotiate with our municipality the use of the street right so we said look this is a we we think this is a community resource right you know this is a you know we if you think about a tennis court for example right so maximum you can have four people but who plays doubles anymore so maximum usually you have is two people and they're there for an hour, but we're mm. investing this money in this pub- piece of public infrastructure. And so I think we were able to argue we're a piece of public infrastructure. We should be on the street. We're serving the community. And, um, you know, I think one of the big challenges for a lot of organizations, and if you're listening and you are in that space um, and, and you have trouble finding affordable space is that, you know, let's have a conversation about how we can work with your local municipality and be a case study around putting a container on the street and, and making, you know, equipment lending libraries on the street, a real thing. Mm. And then we would, um, you know, we sell, we're just starting to kind of export um, our, the access control system that we've developed. So that check-in check-out process um, and how people get in, you know, and, and how it's safe and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we would take a um, understanding of, the how big the space is and how many people come in and et cetera, et cetera, and, and be able to set them up with the system. And then they can just use that with their inventory and, and, and they're off, off to the races. So, yeah, I think if, you know, the, there's two big pain points for a lot of lending libraries. Um, and one of them is volunteers. Mm. A lot of equipment lending libraries to libraries are volunteer run. And we're not against that at all. I mean, I think that's wonderful. I think it's, it's, you know, well, in the time of COVID, it's a particularly acute, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of pain because it's nearly, you're not supposed to do face-to-face interactions, right? If it's not, 
unnecessary service. So, um, but anyway, so, you know, you can still have your existing volunteer pool that's doing all this great work, but with this thingery system that we've developed, you're able to expand your hours of operation that you can serve your members, right? So mm. the tool library here in Vancouver operates 20 hours a week. Each thingery is open 98 hours a week. Wow, that's a big difference. And so I guess... we're 14 hours a day, seven days a week, because we don't have to have that constant volunteer and staffing. And, and you know, some people kind of go, well, what are the issues that come up out of that? And they're, they're really small. We do a, we do a regular weekly maintenance and check-in um, to kind of mitigate some of those issues. So, uh, yeah. And is there a way of people flagging on the system if they think something, you know, it's, it's, it's broken or it doesn't seem to be operating well, so they can alert you to something that might need maintenance? On the check-in, there's just, it's not part of the inventory system right now, but yeah, we're working towards that. You, you can just take it and put it in the in-repair shelf. Right, a okay. Sign, you know, yeah. like, and that there's a separate shelf. And if, it, you know, we get notifications, we just, we just move it to a not available in our inventory. Mm. Yeah, that sounds good. So basically all you need is space for a shipping container and mm. some power, presumably. For all the well actually we web. run off of solar power okay brilliant yeah so we we're we're all renewable and um it's and, uh and, yeah and it runs on 4g then or 5g rather than needing internet you know broadband cable yeah we just we have a like a remote um, wi-fi fantastic yeah. so it's all self-sufficient yeah so in terms of getting this up and running then, did you have any major barriers or has it been fairly straightforward? I think whenever you're breaking the mold, sometimes you, uh, you, <laughs> you, you push up against uh, a couple of barriers. Um, we, I mean, we're so lucky to have worked with the municipalities we worked with uh, in Vancouver and North Vancouver and for them to see because, you know, I think the, the, the backstory we might have skipped over is the fact that I actually, I stopped being on the tool library board in 2013. You know, I felt it was in a good place. I felt it was time to move on. I felt it was going to be fine without me. And I stepped down. Well, I just didn't run for reelection. And I went on to do a bunch of research in the sharing economy, blah, 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 other things. And then 2016, I was like, how is there still just one? Why isn't there one in every neighborhood, right? Because really, at the end of the day, these serve their neighborhoods. Like we've mapped their, you know, postal codes, and we're like, wow, this is a neighborhood lending library, really. So why don't we have one on the west side and, and north and et cetera? And what would that model look like? And it and evolved through a lot of back and forth conversations with the city, and you know, with members and potential members. What do you want this to look like? Um, so. You know, we have a local credit union that really believed in what we were doing called Van City. Uh, and they're fantastic to work with. So we kind of approached them. We worked with a municipality who's really focused on zero waste and really believed in what we did. Um, and yeah, it, it took a while, right? We had to kind of go, here's this idea. And they were like, what? And then working through that over time and, and then being very open to uh, innovative solutions. Um, we opened up the first one in 20 summer of 2018 
So, um, you know, and I think that since then, I've, I've got a lot of inquiries when we were, when we made it into the Guardian, which was like a lifelong dream. I've been subscribing to the Guardian Weekly since I was 20. Wow. So <laughs> even to be a mention in a Guardian article was a lifelong dream. Um, and we got a lot of interest uh, from, you know, places around the world being like, I'm interested. How do I do this? So, you know, and to be honest, we're still trying to make it easier, you know, for, for communities to put up their hand and go, I'm interested. Um, because financing is, is, is complicated. <laughs> you know, these things aren't free and um, you need to start off with like a, a container and a really good access control system. And you've got to do some container mods and you got to figure out how you're going to tie this into power and et cetera, et cetera. So what we're working on right now is kind of that standard procedure from start to finish that includes, how do I finance this? So we're looking at community bonds. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with those, right? So, you know, uh, issuing a community bond to fund that and then like, yeah, from start to finish so that we can just have that outline for any community. So, but it, you know, so if anyone listening was interested, I'm, I'm, happy to walk them through that even though we don't have it all ironed out in a nice pdf right now mm, sounds good sounds it, it definitely sounds like the way forward doesn't it to give access to all sorts of different stuff i know the the library of things in london one of not uh, the, the ranges of equipment that are most popular there are sports things that people are kind of thinking you know i think i quite might i might like to have a go at rollerblading or some other you know obscure sport that is going to cost you several hundred quid to go and buy yeah. the stuff for but you can go and borrow it and you know do it a few times and see if you like it enough to borrow it to invest in the kit and the same as you're saying with the um you know winter sports stuff um that if you only go once a month or you know once a season even then if you buy the skis and the and the boots and everything next time you go there'll have been some improvements in in the kit but you'll still be having you'll still be using old kit won't you so um, not only have you invested in something but you're not getting the full use out of it and it's being surpassed by innovations in the equipment yeah i think the innovations in the equipment part is is negligible for what we focus on and i you know i think that that is, you know, because, you know, I think that the drill of 2016, mm. besides the battery, can still be a great drill of 2020. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, but, and I think in the, the more way you see that is in the recreation side, mm. you know, and I think that's where these equipment libraries are really going to thrive is that kind of like standard like where that the marginal returns on the new on the new designs are so marginal mm. and we just invest in really high quality product and then the, the kind of the the outliers not the outliers but the more specific new products that are that are changing all the time you know you know we might be able to like feature those etc but it's or, you know, be... Well, they're changing because of planned obsolescence, aren't they, really? They're changing because it's a way of the company marketing, you know, the latest mountain bike and 
I notice you've got some tires there on the wall behind you, and um, oh, and, yeah. So um, I don't I, mountain I bike, used, but, but oh, don't yeah. you? Okay. Well, I used. Oh, to be, it's my roommates, but yeah. Okay, I used to be massively into mountain biking. Oh yeah. And um, but over the last um six or seven years, you know, the bike industry just keeps inventing a new standard. So you know, we've gone from twenty-six inch wheels to twenty-nine, um, to twenty-seven and a half, and then you know something slightly different you know 27 and a quarter or something and um you know 8 9 10 11 speed then single speed and the idea is that suddenly your bike is out of date and all your mates your tribe have all got something different and new and you have to be part of that and now i can't even get the parts or if i if i can get the parts for mine it's the cheapest rubbish you know most most awful heavy appalling kit that you would never want to put on your on your bike because that's all yeah. available and the whole idea is to nudge you into thinking oh you know okay i give in i'll buy a whole new bike and all the compatible stuff and um yeah I'm, well as you can tell i'm highly skeptical about <laughs> <laughs> um what the, the the tactics that brands use to um keep their growth model growing <laughs> Yeah, and I'm a you know it's 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 interesting because I'm so curious about like industry's response to this movement towards the circular economy, and you know there's been this massive movement in Europe which I follow and love, which is like the right to repair, mm. and looking at you know well you sold us all the stuff. Yeah, like you saw us all the stuff we need to just make a new one, you know. So I think that it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, can we innovate products on our own? What does that look like? Um, and and how do we really fight for the right to repair and do that? Mm. And and kind of take that back into our own domain, which is like we're going to be innovative. We're going to share that innovation and those tweaks together to yeah to create something better yeah i'm just making a note to include the link to the right to repair campaign in the show notes so if people want to put their name to that and try and get a bit more momentum behind it then then we can do that so chris what's your top tip for anybody aspiring to start something circular oh well, first of all, I don't think there's been a better time to do it. You know, we're going to a global recession, um, not officially for some, but uh, but certainly uh, mm. there's no one that, that's going to argue that we're not heading that direction. Mm. So, you know, if you think about 2010 is when, I think it was 2011 or 12, Time Magazine was like, we're going to share everything. Uh, it was, just, but it, they were like, we're going to lend out everything for money. It was like this total corporate take on sharing. I think we've got a much more mature, evolved uh, circular economy than we did the last recession. It, it's got good values. We've kind of been able to dis distinguish between the real and the fake. We know what we call share washing. Um, so there's never been a better time. I think it's fantastic. There's a lot of good people out there doing great things 
and they're usually willing to share it with you because they're just so committed to seeing the movement grow. So, you know, we see ourselves as serving uh, all the tool libraries and the libraries of things in the future. That's like, you know, with our system, that's how we want to grow. Um, but, you know, I don't think there's a lot of need to reinvent the wheel. Mm. Pick up the phone, look up someone online, shoot them an email and say, you know, I love what you're doing in New South Wales. How do I, how do I do what you do? Can you share that workshop with me? Can you share your equipment list with me? You know, let's, let's go this movement. So um, yeah, you know, reach out, uh, connect with people that are also involved in, in what's happening in the circular economy. Um, yeah, that would be my advice. And is there anyone you'd recommend as a future guest for the podcast who can inspire people about different aspects of the circular economy? Well, you've already had, you've had uh, the, the amazing women from the Library of Things in London already, is that right? No, no, I've talked to them about doing it, but they were all oh, yeah. snowed under with um, volunteering <laughs> on the desk at the library. I might try again now we've got the um, the lockdown. I'm suddenly finding people who, you know, people in startups are, are busy, aren't they? And people in volunteer roles are busy, but suddenly everybody's got time to spare. Exactly, everyone's got some time to spare now. Yeah, I don't know if uh, the right to repair, have you guys had them on? Yeah, I might contact them. In fact, um, I don't think it's the same people. Have you had the guys I've... from Precious Plastics? No. Um, that's Yeah, I think somebody else has mentioned that. I'll follow that up. Um, I was just thinking on the right to repair. I was asked to review a book, and oh, embarrassingly, <laughs> um, John Wackman and... Uh, Elizabeth Knight is coming out soon, I think, uh, a book all about repairs and the Repair Cafe. Um, mm -hmm. So um, with loads of great stories of, you know, how to set one up, what kind of repairs people do, how it serves the local community, you know, how it's just really got the community spirit going in places again. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot happening. And I know um, John is passionate about the right to repair. So I'm hoping when the book comes out that I'll be able to interview him for the podcast as well. Brilliant. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about the thingery, how can they get in touch and, and look you up? It's just thethingery.com um, or they can email me at info at thethingery.com. Um, yeah, and then you know we got some time now happy to happy to field some questions and help people figure out how they can have a really great library of things wherever they are brilliant and i'll put those links in the show notes so people can look them up well thank you very much chris that was a, a really interesting tour around the thingery situated in various places around vancouver but yeah. hoping to um, scale out and go global in the very near future thank you yeah. thank you very much Catherine. Chris used his in-depth knowledge from the Vancouver Tool Library to identify one of its key operating constraints. Like most tool libraries, it relies on volunteers to staff the library and book items in and out of stock. That makes it hard to extend the opening hours, especially if your volunteers have other jobs as well. Chris's solution for the thingery was to automate that human element allowing people to reserve items online and have key cards to give them secure entry to the library.
This meant they could book items out and book them back in using simple technology. By avoiding the need to staff the library, the opening hours could be extended, allowing access 24 hours a day if needed. That also makes it a more useful facility, easier for people to find a convenient time to go and less queuing. It probably also leads to shorter rental periods, so you can get more rentals or use cycles from each piece of equipment. The funding model with community membership plus rental fees engages people in taking care of the equipment. They feel motivated to keep the rental kit in good working order for the benefit of their community. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.